I had mine out, geez, I was in community college uh, before I moved to Bellingham. So that must have been like, I don't know, 1990 or something, wow. Nin or 91. It was 91. Um, and yeah, I forgot about that feeling. Yeah, it is weird because all of a sudden there's more space in your mouth. Yeah, you're like, I've got like gums and stuff back here. It's I keep looking at it because I'm a little freaked out by how it looks. But I mean, it looks fine. It just looks weird with the stitches. And I'm terrified because oh. I have holes in my mouth. And I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, more <laughs> of a, an anxiety thing than I think an actual problem. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Because yeah, actually, now that you say that, I do remember looking at the stitches and going, "Oh my God, that's." And I had to quit looking because it was freak. It was freaking me out. acceptable podcast this is not your normal voice this is andrew what is this um where's how'd jeff you, yeah, where's how'd Django? You, how'd you get in the studio what the heck <laughs> i snuck into the pap cave uh deep at night um under the cover of darkness and uh rubbed the comic books all over my body uh just <laughs> in preparation for this <laughs> How erotic. Um, <laughs> erotic, erotic. <laughs> and who are you, my dear friend? Oh, and this is Roman. I'm you know, I'm one of the one of the schlubs that's usually here. So <laughs> the wonderful, wonderful schlubs that are normally here. And pay no attention to the man in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight we got a few books we're talking about. Um Jeff, Jeff and Django, they're busy and they honestly just deserve a break and Roman was text sent a group text to us the other day just talking about how much he loved Superman and Jeff was like oh man that sucks that uh, you loved it so much because we won't be able to talk about it we're just a little busy this week and won't be able to record it and I don't know I had a sense of inspiration and I asked Jeff for his permission to record the podcast with Roman and he gave it a go ahead so it's assistant editors week um, so I hope you hope you guys have fun um, yeah, we're going to talk about. Oh, go ahead, Roman, please. Oh no, I was just going to say, yeah, it's Assistant Editors Week, um, episode two nineteen, maybe or two nineteen. I think it's two nineteen or two eighteen point five, whatever we yeah. want to call it. <laughs> it's 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 in there somewhere. Um, I, forgot, I forgot to look up what uh, area code that is. Sorry, Django. Oh crap, Django. <laughs> going to have to call in on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Batman Black and White number four. We're going to talk about Maestro, Warren Pax, number three, number Schlee, maybe number two a little bit as well. Uh, okay. I, I read that. I read both of them this week. Got another Schlee and ha ha, ha ha, number Schlee. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of Schlees this week. Wow. Speaking of Schlees, Crimson Flower, number Schlee. It sucks that Django's not here. <laughs> I know. This whole Schlee thing is his, his, uh, his, uh, his, his bit, his, his, Schli Schli yeah, I was I was gonna say Schlitt, and I was like, I better not say that. <laughs> but I just said it, so it it happens. We've got Savage Avengers number nineteen and Guardians of the Galaxy number twelve. 
We might talk about some Barbalian number five, uh, yeah, Carnage, yes. Black, White, and Blood number one. I might mention a little nugget on that. I think Roman's got something on Superman. Yeah, um, Batman, Superman number sixteen, and Alien number one from Marvel. Nice, nice. Maybe a little Falcon and Winter Soldier if we got time. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. We got those, those two episodes are out, and that's been a pretty fun show. So we'll go ahead and dig into it. Um, what were what were some of your favorite stories in this Batman Black and White issue? Well, let's see here. Um, well, I think I mean none of these. I, I don't want to you know I don't want to start out negatively. None of these stories are bad at all. But I I just for me this was the the least interesting of the issues so far. But having but having said that, I really like Rosmo's art on the first story, the Carl Kershaw one. I think that was my favorite story in the issue. Though I did really like the art by Bradshaw, of course, on the Chip Zdarsky story. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the Daniel Warren Johnson. I mean, his... Oh, yeah, that one has my favorite panel in the issue where Alfred's talking to little Bruce in front of the fireplace. Ooh, yeah, that <laughs> panel. Yeah, that panel alone. I'm like, oh, that's the best panel in the issue. The one where he, on the top of that page where he says, I encourage you, Master Bruce, to think of this game in terms of... Not in terms of strength, but in wits. That oh, one. um... God, I love that dialogue, but no, actually the page before that, the large panel taking up most of the page where oh, they're, yeah. they're underneath the portrait of his parents and those 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 gothic or anguished statues on either side. Yeah, even the the lot he added like weathering to the painting of the Waynes. It yeah. looks like an old painting on the wall. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was a really fun story. I loved how I mean it Batman hung up upside down. Um not upside down, excuse me. Um, he's just hung up uh, by Two Face's crew, and Two Face is like, "What's going on?" So um, Batman is uh, beating up, getting beaten up, and Two Face is like, uh, "Batman only lets himself get captured if he wants to get captured. Like, you don't. Why did you bring him to our uh, secret base? That's ridiculous." And then it's also contraposed um, at the same time with young Bruce learning chess from Alfred in front of the Wayne family manor and kind of talking about that strategy of planning ahead and using your wits to survive. And which is in, in my opinion, is definitely one of like the core aspects of Batman is that, that master of planning. So I yeah. thought it was a really good dilution of the character. Yeah, it really was. I love seeing Alfred teaching him about the importance of improvisation and, and the chess is, it's a matter of like, learning and memorizing all these counters you can do to whatever situation arises. It's like, wow, this, the story is one of those ones that made me want to learn how to play chess. <laughs> <laughs> and then there, on the page, actually directly after that, um, Wayne, your favorite panel, I really love, it's it's so Kirby, the, the Batman punching the fist with the veins straight towards the camera with the boom and the guy's jaw is just getting like, his <laughs> lips are like blown out and it's super exaggerated and kind of at your face in the camera. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> he, Daniel Warren Johnson has so much energy in his art. I absolutely adore it. Yeah. Um, and he came up, well, I don't know if he did. Well, he wrote this too, right? Yeah, I think he yeah. wrote and drew that one. I love that he came up with little things like, I always love when a writer comes up with new bat gadgets that we haven't seen before. And after he punches that guy in that great Kirby panel, the, the criminals run out and he's Batman set up what looks like uh, some kind of little with the bat, the bat emblem on them, little uh, trip wires that when they trip them, 
they explode. <laughs> Man. Love it. Yeah, that's I forgot about that part. It's interesting that you you mentioned the Carl Kershaw story too, the cuz I also I loved that story. Um the art was all right. Um I thought it, I mean I had never seen this guys before and I I loved it. It's kind of a more flat style, um almost like an animation. Yeah. But it it's also written and drawn by the same person, um, unlike the rest of the stories in the book. So I think that definitely it kind of lends more credence to, I think Jeff has been talking about a lot on the podcast of um, how these art-centric anthology books should really, uh, really focus on the artist themselves and kind of giving them that chance to put their voice out there and their voice into the character. Um, and it really feels like in the stories where they fully do that, they they execute them well. And it's the better parts of every issue, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. What did you think? I'm not sure how to interpret the end of this issue, the last, like, four panels. <laughs> I also kind of struggled with it. I, I think I took it, because, okay, so background, if you hadn't read the issue, just briefly, Batman investigates this haunted manor house with what looks kind of like Carrie Kelly, maybe. Um, it's yeah. not a Robin I've seen before. Maybe Cassandra Kane. Yeah, me either. I don't know. I don't know who this Robin is. Dressed kind of like Carrie Kelly, but looks kind of like Cassandra Kane is my yeah. um, read on it. But um, gets trapped and sent back in time in this seance where they're trying to find like this missing woman, and kind of solves the writ solves the murder mystery and causes the guy he disappears and is sent forward in time before he sees the guy kill himself. So he doesn't know. And the only way that he can know is by cutting away the wallpaper and seeing the bullet hole and seeing, Oh crap, he did pull that. Oh. Hole. And so I think it was almost his, he was seeing that he failed, um, which was a really sad note to end the story on in all honesty. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. That, that's a, Oh man, that's great. I, I I didn't fully get that, so thank you. That's yeah, that was my favorite story in this issue. That whole time time mystical time travel device is great. Yeah, it was so cool, and the the panels with that um, with him like trapped in the middle, and even just reminded me of like Return of Bruce Wayne with the Morrison run. We've been reading that with Batman in Quarantine lately, and it just it gave me that vibe of like Gotham history kind of intermingled with Batman and how he affected the past. What I always love myself a good time travel yarn, um, especially when it's self-contained in an issue. So definitely bonus points for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think bonus points for putting kind of a mystery Robin in here, not going with one because I love all the Robins, but it's, pretty cool creatively just to add in a Robin that we're not even sure who she is and where this would put things on Batman's timeline. Exactly. Oh, that's a really good point. I didn't even think of that aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. The other ones are all right. You know, I love Nick Bradshaw, the, the story after that mm -hmm. story, um, The Green Deal by Chip Zdarsky and Nick Bradshaw. It's funny. I This is one of those artists that, and we've talked about this um the guys and I on other episodes of Patcast with the Wolverine, uh, black, white, and red. Um, ah. That how some artists, I th even artists that I love, I think don't quite work as well in black and white. And I love Nick Bradshaw, but he's got so much detail and such fine line work. It kind of is overwhelming in black and white because it's hard to delineate some of this stuff for, for 
me as the reader. I, I feel that for sure. Um, I kind of had somewhat similar, I haven't seen much of his art in general, but um, Rosmo, at times his portion felt a little Zipatone heavy for me. Um, as much as I love Zipatones, it was oh ne nearly half the page at parts. <laughs> and it almost, it felt like it was being used almost as an excuse to not put as much detail. Again, I ha I'm not trying to criticize the art too much, but it, it, it did feel a little overused. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I, I like his cartoony style, um, the way he draws his figures and his faces. But yeah, I did I did feel it was just a little Zipatone heavy. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I just happened to flip to a couple pages in that story um, where uh, the Bat Gang is hanging out in the Bat Cave. And yeah, both those pages, there's there's massive zipatone in every panel yeah it's... and i and i think that and i think zipatone's another thing that i mean depending on how you use it i guess the the skill of the artist with zipatone but at least in this story i, I think Zip, it makes me feel like zipatone works better in color also hmm interesting yeah just because it makes the shading more more dramatic yeah for sure man yeah, it was. I mean, they were. It was a really good book overall. Um, I'd say I'd probably give this issue of Batman Black and White number four by many, many people. I'd give it an eight. It was really good. I I liked the bulk of the stories in here for the most part. It definitely was one of the weaker issues, but I think number three was my least favorite so far. I did like this one still a lot more. Yeah, yeah. I think. Boy, uh, I think I'd give it a seven. Nice. Yeah. All right, so let's go over to Maestro Warren Pax. Now, this this was fun for me because because of all the snow delays in that. Um, I'm sub to the variants for this series, and the variants came in late. And sometimes the variants come in early, and the normal covers come in late, and sometimes it's the other way around. It's who knows, but I got them both this week and read them back to back, and it was it gave me a thrill. Like I had so much fun reading these back to back. Cool. Was it the, I mean, I know you're enjoying the series anyway. What was it? The, the, the reappearance of um, the Pantheon or, or and what? I see. Now, now that's the thing is I had, I knew nothing about the Pantheon. This was all new territory for me. And so it was just, I think having the two issues side by side, read right in a row, really helped me get that through line of who they are and really kind of dig into their motivations and why they're here. And I just had a ton of fun. Um, in issue two, I think they they show up and seem like they're going to fight Hulk, um, Maestro. But then Maestro's like, no, no, we should actually be working together. And uh, so they seem like they're going to work together, but then uh, they trap Hulk um, in, I think they sedate him somehow. I can't remember. Yeah, they, they gas him. Oh yeah, they're they're in it's, the yeah, yeah. They're, in, they're in their aircraft and they release an invisible gas that affects him and they all have an immunity to. Oh yeah, I, I love the. I thought it was so interesting as I had, was realizing as they kept saying their names. I'm like, oh, they're from Greek mythology. They're the demigods, um, like Jason on the Argonauts type, Delphi the the Oracle. Um, yeah, and all of that. So I was like, "Oh, that's actually really, really cool." Ulysses from what's the one? The uh, Iliad. He was he was in that, I think, but he was just one of the many Greek warriors. But then his big claim to fame is in the Odyssey. Ah. Uh, oh yes, um, isn't he Odysseus? Yeah. 
Oh yeah. yeah. I was oh silly me. <laughs> yeah, he goes off on on well, that's I guess that's where we get the word Odyssey. He goes off exactly. on that many years journey and leaves his wife behind and there's all the suitors that are always going after her and they encounter the Cyclops and <laughs> that adds a whole new layer of this to, for me. Um I did, I completely forgot about that name change. So yeah, in this issue Maestro wakes up of course because he's he's hulk he's maestro and as he's trying to get out he kills a bunch of them uh a bunch of the pantheon at least it seems that he does yeah that that shocked me too and which it shouldn't because you know we know that this is the future imperfect timeline and mm-hmm. it's peter davian writing this and he's the one that created the pantheon back when he was writing hulk um so of all people sure yeah he has the right to kill them. <laughs> but yeah, when Maestro kill, starts killing them, oh, and poor Ajax. Oh, the, yeah, even, I don't know what, I can't remember what his name is, but the one that has multiple copies of himself, when all of his copies are trying to hold Hulk down from stopping him from oh. squishing his neck, that was sad. <laughs> yeah. And gruesome when <laughs> Ulysses chops his arm off and then he just grabs his hand holds it to his skin and it reforms right away yeah yeah his uh his healing power i guess his healing power right now is pretty much that powerful but yeah it was a shocker for me when he started killing these guys because i because he peter david just brought him back last issue (laughs) yeah (laughs) it all happened so fast i love how just kind of like a can't like a buckshot he just peter (laughs) david kind of just goes wild with his stories I haven't read a ton by him, but I read his like Ben Riley Scarlet Spider one, which I don't think was super well received, but it's actually like 25 issues. And I enjoyed the hell out of that run. There were a lot of twists and turns that I wasn't expecting. Cool. I'll have to read that run. I, I haven't read it, but I was a huge Peter David fan. Well, because of when he started writing the Hulk back in the day. So the eighties and all of his Spider-Man 2099 stuff. And I loved all that. Yeah. And uh, wow. He did 2099. That's cool. Yeah, I think uh, somebody needs to. We'll need to look this up, but I'm pretty sure he created Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099. Ooh. Yeah, and this boy. Well, poor Ajax. I forget his background story. Why he's mentally impaired, but he's the big super, pun intended, hulking member <laughs> of the pantheon in the armor, and he's always had a real protective love for um, Atalanta. And in this one, how the Hulk. I mean, ugh. He he throws he picks up Ajax and throws him at, at Atlanta and squishes her and it's just a horrible death for her and it's a horrible thing to do to Ajax because you know he's just taken out of the fight because he's so devastated that he was used to kill his his most cherished person. Man, wow, yeah, that was rough. Just oof. And then they bring in um, what what looks like Betty, right? No, it's it's his mom. It's yeah. Rebecca. Yeah, it's his mom. Bruce Banner's mom, who we who is just a, that's a brilliant move. I mean, <laughs> um, and it causes him. I mean, she doesn't recognize him because he's all hulked out and stuff. So he returns back to human, and that's when the the Pantheon shoots him. And it's kind of revealed that he didn't actually kill any of the Pantheon. He was just being mind controlled by that one guy. Still, um, I can't remember which one of the Pantheon it was that to just get him into his human form so they could shoot him yeah it's set, it was such a great plan and i can't well i can't remember that guy's ni- name either and i don't remember the, for the last issue dr doom had showed up and made yeah. an offer to the pantheon so i was wondering 
is was this plan cooked up by Doom? Because he's not in this issue at all. Oh, you're right. I didn't even realize that, even having read them back to back. I mean, I love that the last line of this issue is, uh, okay, we killed him. Now what? We make it permanent. Um, that issue of, well, yeah, he's immortal. How are we going to actually take care of Bruce now? And I wonder if that's where Dr. Doom's going to come back in. Mm. Kind of use some science or magic to do his doomy things. Yeah, yeah, that could be. Because, yeah, how do you... Because I think we saw the Immortal Hulk regular series, even when he was chopped up in pieces, those pieces all started regenerating. Yeah. So now, so now what do you do? Do you launch, do you launch him into the sun? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, you got to get rid of Maestro somehow so he doesn't take over the world. Oh, wait, it's too late. He's already <laughs> yeah. going to. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, I'd probably give this issue like, I'd say an eight and a half, just because it gave me such a thrill. Um, I think maybe realistically, it's probably like a seven and a half to an eight, um, like really solid story. But I just I had such a thrill reading it back to back that it it just got me super excited. So I'd say eight and a half. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'd say I'd say definitely an eight. And yeah, you're right. It's just it's maybe not the greatest book. I wonder how it would appeal to people that that aren't familiar with Hulk history um and future history but uh it's just so much fun having peter david writing a hulk book again yeah i I think that was just a great idea of marvels to have peter david doing the hulk yeah hulk really it feels weird because when i started reading comics i jeff has mentioned this too like you don't think like i'm gonna go not a lot of people are like i'm gonna go read the hulk at least (laughs) i'm i'm not one of those people i never thought but then i picked up a mortal hulk on a whim like on a sale or something and it's one of my favorites top two favorite books um coming out right now the other one being i was segueing into guardians (laughs) of the galaxy number 12 (laughs) also by al ewing like immortal hulk Uh, uh, which is my other favorite current series right now did this issue tricked me of guardians um because of the cover i get i you know you know i even though i work in a comic book store i try not to read too much uh news about comic solicitations and news because i don't want anything spoiled um, speaking of which, we're, as you know, listeners, we're just spoiling the hell out oh, of this yeah. stuff. Spoilers. <laughs> um, <ahead. laughs> um, but so I thought from the cover, I thought, was this, this must be the last issue of Guardians. I mean, it looks like it's over and it's not, but, <laughs> but it totally tricked me. <laughs> I, that's really good. Um, it actually was hilarious. I think it was two or three issues ago. It, I think it was two issues ago. Yeah. I realized I was like, wait there's a subtitle to this and it says lift off in three, two, and the two is bigger than the other one. So I went and pulled back my other guardians issues. and was like, something's happening at the issue 13. I wonder what it is. Yeah. And then on previews one day, I saw this cover with Wiccan and Hulkling <laughs> and I'm like, what, what? So it sounds like we're going to be getting some new members of the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, coming up in the next few issues. Yeah. Including both those two and Doctor Doom is on one of the covers. Um, Not sure if you've seen that ad in in this book, but when I saw Doctor Doom is going to on the cover with Rocket Raccoon, I'm just Doctor Doom interacting with Rocket Raccoon (laughs) sounds like one of the most fun things that could happen. And I'm just... I'm so excited for what he's going to be doing with the Guardians. So yes, um, this was this issue was kind of closing out the whole first twelve issue arc um, 
of this uh, series so far. I, th- I don't th- know if you guys have um, mentioned too much on the podcast since issue one, but like, I, don't, I don't think we have. After the Olympian gods showed up, um, Peter sacri- Star-Lord sacrificed himself um, to defeat them with his element gun. And a lot of world building and kind of uh, information was given to us about the element gun and how it's its relation to the original Star-Lord lore from the 70s um, related to the Master of the Sun, which I don't know a ton about from my memory. I only know some of the names and stuff like that. Um, and that he wasn't a son of Jason or of Spartax in the original incarnation. He was right. just a, a person gifted with this, the cosmic hero force. Yeah. That was the element gun um, that he could do anything with. And that was the special power was this. He could create any element with that gun. It was, I mean, it's what uh, Ewing has done is kind of turned it into this willpower machine. And so he disappeared for a while. And I think issue eight or nine, we finally find out where Star-Lord's been. And he's been off being pansexual over in some other dimension, making love and making war. Um, <laughs> yeah, over... And if I remember right, over like decades passed on that in that dimension or planet, hundreds or if not thousands of years, at least yeah. I think I want to say it was two thousand years ish. Yeah. Um, so, so now he's like a little over two thousand years old, kind of. <laughs> and he's like this elevated being that can use his element gun more efficiently. Um, and so at the end of the last issue, which was a King and Black tie-in. Um, <laughs> the Olympian gods show back up and because Ewing wanted to tie up the, the last plot thread before jumping into this new arc and it's it's really awesome like I I just love A how well, I'm going to miss Juan Cabal's art on this a ton because his art is just mm. his panel work is always different and intriguing and super fun to look at his line work is super clean and like dynamic his word balloons i assume he does a lot not the word balloons but like a lot of the lettering in the, the sound effects i assume he's doing in the yeah. art like the page where uh marvel boy launches hercules and it just set his him yelling father um on like page three uh yeah and when he and when he hits his dad you see the constellation of, of the lion. I forgot Leo. You see the yeah. Leo constellation kind of formed around Hercules. I, I love that. It was so cool. Even, I mean, like the way they survived the explosion of the ship is Marvel Boy in classic Grant Morrison fashion. <laughs> um, has this programmable micro reality cube that's eight feet across where inside the field, things like momentum, inertia, temperature, they're constant. Even exploding spaceship won't affect that. <laughs> yeah, it's things he comes up with, like, and the way they uh, defeat, is it Athena? Or the, the, they, they, the way they use Moon Dragon's um, Dragon of the Moon to take out, oh, it's not Athena, it's, um, oh, what's his name? Mercury. Yeah, Mercury. Yeah, Hermes. Um, to also- remove him from the plane of existence and into the, the mind of Groot. Yeah into the oh man that's another great thing that happens in this issue go ahead go ahead <laughs> yeah and you're and you're right his art is it's so clean and beautiful but he also has all these great just weird moments like when uh um i forget which of the greek pantheon of gods it is when uh he pulls because moon dragon has is is 
two moon dragons in one. She's the regular one, and she's a moon dragon from another reality that have been merged. Yeah. And this one uh, Greek god pulls the two of them apart. And yes! Just the visual of that is so weird and cool, and, and, and it looks awful. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the page right before that, the double page spread of all the, like, tarot cards as, um, as I think that's Athena, right? Yeah, yeah. Athena's kind of telling the future. And on the page before that, Groot gets the fucking power stone. Apparently this <laughs> guy that showed up, the Prince of Power, who we knew nothing about, swallowed the power stone and has a wonderful ass now because of it, rippling glutes. Um, but then they give it to Groot to revive him. And so he's now out of the Donny Cates version of Groot and back into more classic, I am Groot, Groot. Cool. And so like, there's that reveal and then the tarot card and then the split, like every single page of this comic is something gorgeous to behold. And it's so much interesting plot. I just, I am so amazed at how awesome this comic is and I cannot highly recommend it enough. It yeah, seems like it's a it's going to be a good uh, hopping on spot um, just about soon because of that relaunch of number thirteen, new team. Yeah. Though I hope they keep. I kind of hope they keep the majority of these characters around. I mean, I don't care about Prince of Power. He was funny and useful for the storyline, but I I think they are. It seems yeah. like they're only adding people to the roster mm. because they're they talk about especially near the end how we we need to rebuild and it really. At the beginning of the pandemic, I did a deep dive into, I bought the Guardians of the Galaxy Omnibus by Abnett and Lanning, and then got to the first page, and it's this page text dump of a bunch of shit has happened in the universe, and it's in shambles, and so the Guardians came to the rec are formed now. And so I was like, I feel like I need to read something else. So I went back, and I read Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest, which are two sequential events um, leading up to the creation of the Guardians. And it's this crazy cosmic space opera where the universe just gets destroyed twice within months. <laughs> yeah. The entire universe, the entire universal economy is demolished. Energy plants off the edge of space are destroyed. It is a nightmare. And Nova, Reed, uh, Richard Ryder, and his best friend, Peter Quill, Star-Lord, are like, we have to do something. We have to put together some kind of force that are here to guard this. Because who else is going to do it? We're, we have no unified force. And so this really kind of, it feels like it's in that same vein and direction where it's, we got, uh, Noel just ran through the universe and fucked everything. We have to re-put it back together. So it really feels like it's going to be a true return to that style and era of the Guardians. And I'm so, so excited. Yeah, that is, and it's so cool. One of the and one of the things I loved about Annihilation and all that the, and this series is that, yeah, they get into the true details of like a, a massive universal destruction, the economic details. And, 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 you know, if there's a system that uses like universal credits or something, what happens when that's, you know, thrown into disarray and everything and i i just love that kind of world building yes it's it's so in-depth and interesting and for that reason i'm dropping a gooey on this issue oh this, this is a number 10 out of 10 for me just absolutely fantastic series cannot recommend it enough <laughs> that's awesome in fact just as you said you're dropping a gooey i turned to the the double page where star lord fires his gun and that bullet oh 
with the shoots dragon out of the, the reader. Moon. Yeah, but then it curves around to the other page with the dragon on the moon and hits, I don't even know who that is, hits Zeus or whatever. <laughs> yeah, wow. It, my, my only tiny minor complaint with this, and it's just because, you know, I'm sure Ewing has time constraints and he wants to get to this this new next stage of the Guardians development. So my only tiny complaint was I was like, oh, that was really cool, but these are the Greek gods, and wow, they were defeated fairly easily <laughs> by admittedly an awesome team but <laughs> yeah yeah i feel that i was um, thinking well, wow at dc these greek gods are much more formal than they are at marvel <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i feel like there was some stuff talked about earlier on about like the lack of belief i don't know exactly how i'm kind of like jeff where i don't know exactly how all the mythologies exist in the marvel universe i just know they're just kind of people that i always have just taken it as they're just people or sometimes superhumans that for sure existed and maybe they still exist but they're not like actually gods they're just super powered people um yeah. that tricked people into thinking and worshiping them into thinking that they're gods oh um, yeah they have that's how i've always kind of taken it as the mar in the marvel universe yeah maybe that's Maybe that I have, I, that does sound familiar. Maybe that's the way it is now. I might be thinking back to like, I don't know. I remember some Thor storylines in the in the seventies and early eighties when you are the Marvel historian expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I, thanks, but I don't know. I, I just remember some stories where the Greek pantheon was as powerful as, like, say, the Norse pantheon at one point. But yeah, it definitely seems like nowadays, interesting. Zeus is much less powerful than Odin. I wonder if Marvel kind of made a deal with DC, like you can you can use the Greek ones and we'll use the <laughs> Norse ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Eric Larson can use his own Norse ones too. Well, Thor and Odin anyway. <laughs> um, oh, did I give it a score? Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, uh, I, boy, I'll give it a 9.5. Nice. Fantastic issue. I do just want to bring up one, there's just one or two panels I want to briefly talk about in Carnage. Uh, oh, sure. Black, White, and Blood. Um, Carnage me. <laughs> the the last story um, was by Al Ewing, another Al Ewing, of course, um, and John McRae. It was it was a kind of like Al Ewing's "You Are Deadpool" book, "You Are Carnage," where it, it expects you to do this rolling dice RPG. I didn't do it. I really didn't. I was here for the John McRae art, and I got what I wanted. There, there's one panel of Carnage just hovering over these babies in a nursery. And it's horrifying talking about how he's getting ready to eat them. Wow. And then on the next page, he Carnage literally rips the spine out of this giraffe. And it is oh. gruesome. And he has got the biggest, wildest smile. <laughs> and it just, it was awesome to see John McRae do kind of this wacky, fun art that just is totally his style. Wow. Yeah, see, I didn't even know that. I didn't look at that at all. I didn't know McCray was in there. This really makes me want to read at least that story. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't do the. I, it tells you like, oh, like it's almost like a choose your own adventure where you like it's an RPG style thing. But I honestly just recommend looking at it for the art. Like it was, <laughs> it's gorgeous. Um, John McCray's art is absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, <laughs> cool, and that's good because I. It's funny, I didn't even like choose your own adventure type stories when I was a teenager, when I was in middle school, because 
I don't know if it's because I'm lazy or what, but I was always like, the writer's supposed to tell me a story. I'm not supposed to make it up. <laughs> oh, that's plus hilarious. I, plus, I couldn't decide. Like, well, what if I choose the wrong adventure? I want to <laughs> choose the best one right out of the gate. <laughs> I don't you want to have the best experience. And then you, you turn to the second page and it's like you died. And you're like, no. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> Throw the book across the room. <laughs> Mom, this thing sucked. Why'd you buy it for me? <laughs> I'd love to hear a little about uh, Batman Superman. Um, oh. Please tell me about it. Well, let's see. And I keep on wanting to say number one, but no, this is number 16 of Batman Superman. But it's part of the new Infinite Frontier DC Omniverse realm. And it's the first issue written by, uh, please correct my pronunciation, Jean Luan Yang. Jean Luan Yang? I, I don't, I'm not sure either, but that's how I've heard it. Jean Luan Yang. Yeah, the, the writer of, um, oh, geez, New Dragon Superman Hoops, and Dragon Hoops. Superman um, Smashes the Clan. Yeah, and, um, um, American-born Chinese. One of our really favored writers. We all really enjoy him. And this issue, I was I was just excited by the cover because it's got, you know, basically Golden Age Superman and Golden Age Batman, though they're slightly stylized, so it's Golden Age Superman that we've never really seen before. And the issue is told, all the panels are in film strip Ooh, uh, that's really cool format so and you can read and the superman and batman stories are happening concurrently so you can read all the superman parts until you get to almost the end or you can read all the batman parts all at once and go that's back and then so read superman. cool oh yeah. my god or you can read both parts concurrently on each page and then toward the end a character from the superman story a building collapse, the floor collapses, and she falls into the Batman story. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and then the storylines converge. Um, and it's just so cool. It's it's very pulpy style, but it's modern times. I mean, Batman's got all his bat computers and stuff. Lois has a self or yeah, cell phone, a smartphone. Um, so it's just kind of mixing all these great eras together. I mean, if Clark Kent and Lois, they're back to being competitors. He's the new guy at the planet and he's a bumbling oaf. And she's like, oh my God, this guy's just such a dope. Why the hell would Perry hire him? Um, it's, it's just so classic and fun. Um, this, oh man, there's this mystery about this kryptonite. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> in, in fact, yeah. At, oh, Is Ivan Reese on the art still? Oh yeah, sorry. Yes, it's uh, Ivan Reese is the artist. I, I gotta. This is a spoiler, but I gotta say, go for it. Toward, toward the end, in the Superman story, they end up in the Batcave, and a figure comes looming out of the shadows. It's Alfred, but he's like I don't know. He's like the version of Alfred from the Gotham TV show or what, or his own show. Um, and he's got a belt on, and he clicks it, and it injects venom into him, and it's venomized Alfred, and he attacks Lois and Superman. Oh my god! <laughs> and it's terrifying, because it's Alfred! But, oh, god. Oh, it's scary. <laughs> this is just... Oh, it's so cool. I love this book. This is my gooey for the week. Ooh, Batman nice. Superman number 16. So good. Batman's driving an old-style, like, golden age, or probably, I don't know, souped-up 1920s roadster. Uh, it's, it's so awesome. There's a new villain called the Spider Lady. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> and of course Luther's in it and very cool. Very, very cool. Sweet. Well, um, do you wanna talk about the other two? You wanna kinda do a quick buckshot on the other two of your books? Um what were my other two I had Alien. Alien and, and Nuclear Family. Ah, Nuclear Family, yes. Yeah, if I can find my copy of 
nuclear family. What did I do with it? Maybe it melted down in the slag. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. That was awful. No, that's good. I, 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 I do love a, it. I do a lot of dad jokes, and I'm, you know, I'm not a dad. <laughs> nuclear family. I, I just happened to read this today because I realized I hadn't. This surprised me. Uh, nuclear family number one from Aftershock. It's Stephanie Phillips is the writer, and Tony Chastine is the artist. Um, it's set during, well, during the 50s, during the days of Sputnik. In fact, um, that's that's this, well, the exact setting of the story because people, it's on the news, Sputnik is on the news and they're t the newscasters, everybody's talking about, oh, it's the Russians have built spy technology into it and this is the new threat from Russia and, you know, Cold War and all that. And our main character is a used car salesman. Him and his used car salesman buddy are both uh, Korean War veterans. Um, and it's just about their home life and they're having dinner. And then, oh, it's something that this guy, his hobby at home, he has a room full of uh, ham radios, CB radios and stuff. And that really tickled me nostalgically because my grandfather, my late grandfather, was in the Korean War, and he, li he lived in San Jose, California. We'd go down to visit him sometimes, and he had a whole room that was just all these desks put together that were CB radios, ham radios, and I remember it was the guest room where I was supposed to sleep when I was a kid, but he would be in there, like, you know, at midnight, talking to people in Guam and stuff, which is the first time I ever heard of Guam, hmm. and I couldn't sleep because Grandpa's in here talking to these guys. <laughs> so I really love that about this, but then he comes up for dinner, and there's air raid sirens, and all of a sudden there's bombs dropping. And I think they live in, it's like Wisconsin or somewhere, nowhere Wisconsin. And there's bombs dropping and a bomb lands right on their house. Ooh. But but they come up from the basement and nothing is damaged. And he walks out of the house and everything's gone except their house. And he's stumbling around in the weird in, in the mist and the smoke and the, you know the aftermath. And then he's surrounded by we think U.S. soldiers. Maybe they've all got guns on them. And, and there's and they're like not another step, Kami, to be continued. Kami. <laughs> yeah. So there's this great mystery. It's like what happened, and and these soldiers think he's some kind of Russian bad guy now, even though he's like obviously speaking American with no accent. And <laughs> oh man, I. I love myself a good fiction uh, woven in the 50s McCarthy era dealing like Exit Stage Left Snagglepuss Chronicles. Yeah. Also, we're dealing with the McCarthy era and all the, you got to get the Red Scare out of here. <laughs> it just, it's always just so ridiculous. Um, yeah. Yeah. And hilarious to see. I mean, the 50s was also when the Comics Code Authority and the Frederick Wortham stuff oh. went down. So yep. it's funny to just kind of have that all in the same decade, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, all that that decade, of, and of course it's still around, but that decade of like concentrated paranoia and and like oh the the bad guys over here they're gonna get us. There's this whole there's a back matter that's a very humorous just how to spot how to spot a commie and and <laughs> like five points of how to look, how to spot them and one of them is they use words like uh, colonialism and hooliganism, ruling class, progressive, <laughs> 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 all those words we use. All the words us dirty liberals use. Us dirty liberals. We get them to use it too. Does that make them commies? Yeah, that's how we indoctrinate them. Um, so yeah, I'll give this... Uh, oh boy, I'll give this 7.5. I wasn't totally thrilled with the art. It's a little flat in places, but I really like the story. Nice. Oh, and my other 
Buckshot was uh, the first issue of Alien from Marvel um, by Phil Kennedy Johnson and Salvador La Roca. This 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 was pretty cool. I like elements of the story. It's basically about um, oh this military guy that's I forget his exact position. Um, he's retiring from the service, and it's just kind of entered the story's introducing him, and there was and his son is this this guy works or he worked for um oh this is terrible uh you know the famous company in alien um i haven't seen uh, alien in years i feel like a bad sci-fi nerd i should have found my page first um yutani why can't i think of their name they created bishop uh they're the ones that sent them out there to that moon where they first encountered the xenomorphs i remember the name xenomorph and ripley that's my <laughs> help to this situation. <laughs> oh, Wayland, you, Wayland, you Wayland. Yeah, that sounds so, familiar. Yeah, so he works for that corporation. He retires from them. Turns out his son, who he's estranged from, um, is very anti-military, anti-against uh, Wayland Yutani and corporate corporatization in general, but especially they're like well known for you know just the destructive things they've done and and everything like that so they're estranged because of that and also it turns out like he had another brother that i guess was killed for something and they have a confrontation and we see some flashbacks this guy that's retiring is in therapy because of the xenomorphs you know his unit was was captured while on a planet then he was you know webbed up in their goo or whatever up on the ceiling and saw his buddies die and, and you know this issue it really LaRocca's art I don't like his faces. It's weird. I don't know if I think Braden had posted on Facebook that he he does has like a tracing style or something. So yeah, I I think Mike posted in uh, our little book club group chat that we have um, something about like he essentially was tracing action figures for like one of the double page spreads. <laughs> what? Yikes. Um, I wonder if that's of the because uh, there is one double page spread I really liked. That's basically shows all the different kind of xenomorphs. I think that's the one. Yeah, that from from different movies and stuff. That's, and it's one. It's, it's cool though. It is cool. It's one of the better art couple pages in here because his human figures are just they're distracting because their faces are so flat and they're not emotionless. I mean, there's emotions, there's emotions drawn onto their faces, but it's so they look so artificial. It's like somebody character characterizing emotions onto a face so unfortunately that was distracting enough for me that it took me out of the story but i like the you know the plot and i love aliens i mean it's such a classic horrible monster i mean it's really brilliant oh yeah in a way that they, i mean because they look like they're arachnid like and yet they're all and they're sleek and black but their heads look in a way kind of phallic but it's also got that horror that i mean they, they attack other beings and they never use these words in the comics or the movies but they attack their beings and and rape them basically and implant yeah. their eggs inside them yes and gestate very quickly and burst out of them killing the host i mean it's like it's, yeah the all the oh. face face hugger stuff like yeah that's yeah. terrifying yeah it's in this horrible alien predator that rapes in order to succeed and it's it's just horrifying so it's a great monster <laughs> I'll, I'll read the next issue but boy I, the art i think you know i would give this i would give it an eight for the story so far but the art i would give like a five 
Wow, wow. Which is, which is too bad, because this is Marvel's first alien anything. Um, mm -hmm. So I wish, I wish there was a better artist. Well, I'll, I just want to briefly talk about Barbalian, because um, it finished up this mm -hmm. week. Is uh, I just thought that this this was a really... You guys talked about, I think, issue three with Colette. Um, yeah. But I just thought this whole series was... It's, I should go ahead and mention, it's Jeff Lemire and Tate Bromble on story, but Tate Bromble did the script itself. Um, Gabriel Hernandez-Walta on uh, art, and Jordi Blair on colors with Aditya Bidikar. Good old Aditya Bidikar from many things like Little Bird, and uh, I think she did Future State Dark Detective, up-and-coming letterer, height, really good stuff. Um, but... This is, I think, closing out this little mini-series here um, with Barbalian kind of fully... It's It's been all about Barbalian kind of learning about his own identity um, in the pressures of Earth, especially during the 80s, during the AIDS crisis, um, when so many gay people were just persecuted and ignored um, by cops, by regular pedestrians, um, just for, I mean, treated as disease ridden and just the most horrible things. And it's, this just, this was told in such a way that was absolutely heart wrenching every issue. And I, I just thought it was, I thought it, it wrapped up in a really sweet way. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, th I thought it was a really solid issue. What'd you think? I really liked it too. And and I apologize, I don't have a copy in front of me because we, we sold out of it, actually. Um, mm. But yeah, it was it was a very good wrap-up to that storyline. And, and yeah, very sweet, um, very, very powerful. Um, none of it was, none of it was trite or anything at mm -hmm. all. It all still felt very realistic, even though we're talking about, you know, an, an uh, yeah. alien. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, for sure. I think I'd probably give... The issue, this issue, I'd probably give like a seven and a half, but I'd give the series probably an eight and a half um, as a whole. I think issues three or four um, were probably my most emotional, emotionally provocative um, for me. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm definitely gonna, I'm looking forward to reading the trade when it comes out and reading it all in one, one sitting or, you know, two sittings. Because yeah, it was, I, I don't think, I mean, maybe we have in like underground comics that I can't think of any of those titles but we haven't seen a story like this in like a mainstream comic maybe ever wow yeah deal, you know dealing so uh maturely and and heartfelt with with the aids crisis it's, mm -hmm. you know that's well it's still going I, I just this afternoon i was talking to a friend of mine about uh pandemics um, because of our current pandemic. And it reminded me that the AIDS, HIV AIDS crisis, I remember it was, I think I'd read once and I remember this, it was referred to as an epidemic in news of the time in the 80s and into the 90s. Mm -hmm. But technically it's actually a pandemic because it was, you know, it's in more than two continents. <laughs> um, mm. But I, I think I remember reading that they kind of like media tried to play it down because they absolutely you know, for various reasons it, um, it wasn't really i would say until like 91 or so when magic johnson came out with having it i think that's when mm. the general public of the world finally kind of realized like oh straight people can have this too <laughs> yeah. it's not just the gays problem um which it's unfortunate that it really had to come to that um i mean i've heard stories of just like an entire generation of artists lost just gone because yeah. they 
didn't, no one cared about them. No, no one could, well, people cared about them, but no one helped them. I mean, now we've got treatments and stuff, but it's devastating to think about how much art and spirit that we lost in those years. Yeah. Yeah, and you see that in this series, you know, the way the, the way the cop, I mean, geez, um, and I forgot uh, one of the main characters' names, but when he climbs up on the flag and that cop, you know, she just, she just shoots him. There's no reason to shoot him. I mean, she's a cop. She, sh- if theoretically, if she was doing her job as a cop, she should have been like, hey, get some, get ladders and stuff over there. That guy's, in case he falls, she was trying mm-hmm. to help him, help him survive, not, not murder him. Yeah. So what'd you give it? Oh, um, uh, Boy, I'll give it an 8.5. Um, it was a good wrap-up to the series. It was very satisfying. But yeah, like you, I think there were some couple stronger issues in the middle. But yeah, the whole series, uh, I give a 10. Wow, nice. I think I, I, I think I would probably bump up to like a 9, maybe a 9.5 for the series, um, especially after that discussion and thinking about that. Like, yeah, it, it got me thinking about a lot of things that I don't always think about, even as someone of the LGBT community. So let's kind of, I say let's skip Savage Avengers, because honestly, I wasn't super thrilled by this issue. You down to skip it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was fun, just like this series always is, but there's nothing in, yeah. in particular that... Uh, I don't think there were any super good quotes or something that really um, got me. I mean, it's been... I lo- I've loved the last three issues with Deadpool, just because I think Jerry Duggan writes one of the best Deadpools, um, yeah. just in my own opinion. Uh, I think he it, he's good at handling his zaniness in a mature way. Um, yeah. And... <laughs> don't threaten me with a good time, Conan. <laughs> like he's, he's, he's just, he doesn't take himself seriously. And I, I can really appreciate the kind of the superhero that does that. And I mean, also the fact that he's, I mean, I, I forget about it sometimes, but he's pansexual, um, canon canonically, um, yeah. just another awesome gay character for Marvel to have. Um, definitely much like the Punisher can get a little bit co-opted by people that are a bit more into hyper violent douchebags yeah. than actual like I, I don't know I feel like there can be more nuance to Deadpool that isn't mm-hmm. always emphasized um, some writers just think of the well I'm gonna make him break the fourth wall and that's that's the extent of the wit um, when I think there's a lot more interesting things you can do with it yeah yeah I think so and I think he does and the same thing with Conan just how he I think of the last issue how there's a character here Nightflyer who I've never heard of before this series but he, um, I think he's gay. And at one point, oh yeah, the last issue, yeah, where he's like, "You have a problem with me, Conan? Because I'm gay." And Conan's like, "No, I don't care who you lie with. <laughs> I want to know you could do what you're supposed to do in this mission." <laughs> and it's nice having Conan such a such a macho, yeah. co-opted character. Like to have moments like that in this series, um, and a lot of smart moments in this issue. In fact, the highlight was. Uh, when Conan tells Iceman, you're a frost giant, basically. You have the powers of a frost giant. Fight oh, like yeah. that. And then Iceman does this just amazing thing to stop all these null dragons. And, and it's just awesome that Conan is smart enough that he picks things out like this. Somebody he's never met before and just like, you're like a frost giant. Do do it. Yeah. <laughs> Think he, like a frost giant. <laughs> his simplicity. It, it just reminds me that like... It's Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is mm. the right answer a lot of the times. So don't overcomplicate things. I'm, I'm a person that likes to overthink things. Um, so I really appreciate Conan's 
very straightforward nature. I guess yeah. we just ended up talking about that anyways, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I started, started flipping through it, I was like, oh, this was a cool moment. Oh, this is a cool moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, that's, that is this series to a T. Like it just, it takes you by surprise and it's just a lot of raucous fun without being too, without being offensive at all, in my opinion, really. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably give it a solid eight. A lot of fun, seven and a half, eight. Yeah. Yeah, me I'm, too. I'm becoming Jeff. I'm a, I'm starting to range. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Yeah, me too. And it was one of the better King and Black like tie-in issues. Yeah, of series. Oh, for sure. I've I've really enjoyed all three of the Savage Avenger King and Black tie-ins. <laughs> yeah, actually, just a ton of fun. Um, let's go ahead and uh, let's do Haha number three. Schley. Three. 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 Uh, this is by W. Maxwell Prince, and I believe this issue is um, Roger Langridge. Uh, this issue, as this series has been, is um, kind of an anthology. This is an anthology series focusing on these clowns and kind of the mundanity and sadness of clowns lives um this one however is i would say mostly a silent issue yep because it's about a mime uh who man he's just he's living his life you get to see him do his thing much like all these other issues like he sees he tries to go to the scrap heap to find some money then he finds this robot um in the scrap heap and he becomes really good friends with the robot and they start doing mime tricks together and are really popular and it's adorable and he's actually making money and like man the scene where it's him and it like it's a pretty flat simple art but i much like in wind where it was a flatter simpler art it still conveys so much emotion with so few lines and i'm really impressed by that um this page um like oh yeah where it they like lean in on each other they look at each other and just it shows kind of the their tiny little apartment in like stark contrast with all the other tall nice buildings nearby and just like the rugged simplicity of their friendship um yeah the the mime our main character lives in this old like looks like maybe ramshackle house still surviving sandwich between the skyscrapers and him and the robot are just sitting on his couch and watching TV until the mind falls asleep, leaning on the robot's shoulder. And the robot has such a sweet smile. Yeah. And he's got a bow tie and a hat. <laughs> a little yellow hat. But then of course, as, as it does with the W Maxwell Prince, nothing can stay happy forever. Yeah. And the owners of the robot show up and want to take him back and there's it's really heart it's really heart-wrenching watching him have to leave the robot but this little girl tries to cheer him up and i love, I love that bit where she pulls a frog out of the shoe box and she's posing it just like in that bugs bunny cartoon with jay wellington frog or whatever the frog that does the hello my baby hello my darling oh my god <laughs> that's oh my god and this is the same sequence wellington where, wellington <laughs> as soon as she shows up the frog and the frog does nothing it's a hang there <laughs> that i'm actually curious do you think that this little girl that shows up in this issue is the little girl from last issue perchance um, oh is she now the last one was focused on this young girl whose mom was taking her to Funland. Um, oh. And so I'm wondering if this is maybe, because I'm pretty sure her mom leaves her or something at the end of that. 
issue. I can't remember exactly what yeah, happened. I don't remember exactly either, but... But I just, I was, because I was trying to find the through line in this, yeah. because that first, that second issue referenced the first one, I was trying to see if this referenced the second one in any manner, and that was the only thing I could really think of. Um, so yeah, the, the, the mime goes in, tries to rescue, and what hap what happens to that mime, man? Uh, uh, let me get to that page. I just wondered too, because I was worried about the, what the through line was too. Um, yeah, he tries to rescue his robot buddy who's being all disassembled, so he just has like the robot, well, torso and head and one arm. Classic C-3PO move. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he's carrying out it. And yeah, the mime, boy, the guards get him all cornered, the cops get him cornered, and he does the classic mime finger gun at them. And they, they, they shoot him dead, and he dies next to his robot friend, with them both making the, the only time the mime ever speaks throughout the stories. Oh, wait, he does a couple pew pews. But at the end, he does the bip sound that the robot makes. Um, hmm. And that's the end. The yeah. little girl finds his his mime beret, his red beret in the junkyard and, and puts it on and she does some finger guns and the last thing is her saying pew pew and then a pew like just like dark side is a pew in a black panel <laughs> oh does she become dark side oh my gosh i hope not I hope, <laughs> oh i don't yeah i'm curious now if she is the same little girl i i i, I mean I for all that, i know it could connect to the next issue yeah Maybe because I think the little girl number two is my fuzzy memory is that she was slightly she was older than this girl. She I don't know how old she was in the story that when we were like reading from her perspective, but I remember she was she was telling it from the future, like when she was an adult oh, right. um, working at a strip club. I think that was like the first page oh, opener yeah. and the last page um, where she was like, I work at a strip club now for where I dress up as a clown. So I was not. Um, yeah, I, I was just curious about that through line. Um, this series continues to really intrigue me. I mean, I think when I texted Will about this issue, I just said, "Haha, number three, no words, no words for it." <laughs> just and it, I, he texted me back uh, three or four days later and was like, "I got the joke because he had he had because I had said that he was like, oh man, Andrew must have really liked it. So I want to save it for last." And then he got he got it and was like, so that was a nice little moment, but. Yeah, I mean, silent issue. It was, it was a really, really fun comic. Um, really solid continuation of the series. I'd probably give it eight and a half. Do I? I say eight and a half. I think so. Yeah, I, I yeah. This and this every issue is a surprise, and this one is tonally so different. Because um, usually Roger Landridge does uh, kids books and all ages books. Um, like a few years back, he did a great Shazam uh, series for kids. Um, so yeah, having him do this kind of what I consider a horror book, um, certainly emotional horror is pretty different. And yeah, this whole thing, it was so cleverly done with the way it's all communicated with no, no captions, no text, um, no, well, no dialogue, but there's signs and there's notes and, and various symbols. It's very cool. Yeah. I think, boy, yeah. Um, I'll give it an eight and a half for sure. Nice. Got a lot of synchronicity with our scores tonight. Yeah, and it's funny, until you said something introducing this, it had somehow I didn't even think about the fact that, oh, yeah, a mime is a, a, a form of clowning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. I didn't um, even think about that. <laughs> so I got the variant cover. Um, so it's, it's the mime with the robot on the cover, just kind of like <laughs> holding each other sweetly. Uh -huh. um, so that that that's a little cool. <laughs> yeah, it is. 
Now you had some extras, didn't you? I did. Um, I really, it was just that carnage one. Um, I I'll mention briefly. I read, uh, I started Chip, Chip Zdarsky's, uh, Invaders series, um, the hardcover that came out about a month ago. And that was, it's, I started the series a while ago and it was something that after I finished the first trade, I was like, this is something I want in the hardcover because the way he talks about PTSD is in relation to specifically Namor, Bucky, Captain America, and Jim Hammond during the war, yeah. but Namor especially and how he's dealt with that through the years and all the trauma that's been done to him. It's so interesting. And Carlos Magno's art for the modern day sequences is gorgeous. It reminds me of like P. Craig Russell's kind of detail and architecture mixed with um, Jim Valentino's lines and like figure work where it's just like this kind of 90s feel, but um, really like detailed um, and ornate like P. Craig Russell's work. It's, it's really something interesting to look at. And I, I love it. Um, I've just been loving that series. Cool. Yeah, that was a great series. Um, I think that might, I think that was probably the first thing I ever read by Zadarsky. And I'm an old Invaders fan. I have every issue of like the <laughs> 1970s series that introduced them. And I love that. So, and Zadarsky did a, a thing with Namor that he took elements from like John Byrne's run on Namor in the early 90s, I think, but expanded it just the same way that Ewing did with the Immortal Hulk and building on things that Peter David had established, you know, back in the 80s. And I just love these these modern comic good, really good comic writers that are building on really good comic writers' work of the past and then expanding it into these such realistic, real, real human qualities and and, and problems. I totally agree. Um, yeah, it's just absolutely it's a really solid series. I mean, check it out um, yeah. if you haven't. Last thing, last issue of the week that we're going to talk about is Crimson Flower, number three. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear it because actually I didn't have time to read the number three. I read number two. Oh, okay, cool. Um, well, this was a really good issue. It's Matt Kent, uh, Matt, two Matts, Matt Lesniewski, and Bill Crabtree um, for colorist. And uh, this, I mean, it picks up right where it left off where she had taken a bunch of pills and she's surrounded by a bunch of assassins in the woods. Um, so she fights them all off and it, the art is still like, it's just wild. Um, it is absolutely indescribable. Um, Jeff, the way Jeff described it is the best way you can describe this art. Like it's just so unique that I can't say like, well, it looks a little, I mean, it looks like a mixture of so many different people that I can't pin it down. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, the faces are grotesque, but not in like an ugly way, but yes, in an ugly way. Um, and the violence is intense. She shoves this um, raw, like she just beats the shit out of these guys, shoves, kills all of them, uh, shoves their mouths full of pills at parts and just drives away. And it's talking about, she's just, there's one more call left for her to make before she kind of solves this thing. And she gets to this guy who apparently is, the best assassin out of all of them and is likely the one that killed her father and he's the only one that is still an assassin oh it's the winter soldier whoa 
<laughs> right? <laughs> um, and he's just like, he looks kind of like Alan Rickman from uh, <laughs> Die Hard, his character in Die Hard. Um, but just with so much like wiggle and ooziness, it's, it's again, it's hard to describe this art, but like, it's I, he's a menacing fellow and he takes no shit. He's like, guess what kind of friends I have dead ones. And just <laughs> he ties her up and is torturing her and is trying to figure out what she wants. And is like, Oh yeah, I do remember killing your dad, but it didn't, doesn't fucking matter. And he goes on like these two really sad stories about how nothing matters. It's, it's dark, but it, it absolutely is just, it's so interesting, this story. I, throughout it, it's not really one that, I mean, I, you know, the, gen the general plot, I would say, is this girl who's a pharmaceutical rep and is also addicted to these pharmaceuticals is kind of trying to get revenge on her father while hallucinating. And you're experiencing her hallucinations of all these stories that she used to read, that her dad used to write and talk to her about. Um, so she's kind of stuck in this traumatized moment, um, psychedelically reliving it while being this badass bounty hunter kind of person, just trying to hunt down the guy who killed her dad. Like there's not a, I don't know how to, it, it's, that's the best description. Like it's not a net. It's a, it seems kind of like a straightforward story, but there's just so much interesting layers to it that like, I, this is definitely one that I recommend when it comes out in trade, you, uh, people should really check this out. Um, it's, it's got some wild art and it's an absolutely intriguing story. I'd probably give this nine, nine and a half. Variant cover gives makes it makes it a nine and a half for me. It's Marguerite Sauvage oh, yeah. doing kind of a Princess Mononoke yeah. homage um, with her leaning on the wolves, the main yeah. character, and the red hairs just flowing over. It's really gorgeous. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's another yeah. That's another series I look forward to reading in a in the collected edition or or in a or in a bundle. <laughs> no, I probably, <laughs> probably won't have enough issues to do a bundle. Uh, yeah, that'll. I hope so. I wanted to briefly we, we now that we're done with all these issues let's talk about falcon and winter soldier oh yeah that uh that, that new disney show that new disney show that's been coming out yeah launchpad mcquack he's the uh he's the flag smasher Wh oh <laughs> okay the, the, this is why we're here this is why we are here because roman I know, while I consider myself a pretty decent Marvel historian, I know a good amount about continuity, but good lord, I don't know almost anything about Captain America history, and so all of this is just wildly new for me. Like, I... Spoilers, again, spoilers oh, ahead. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> Please, I mean, don't listen to this part of the podcast if you have not watched this episode yet. Um, Isaiah Bradley shows up, who is a character I totally forgot knew existed because they've been mentioned once or twice. And because it was this, the father of Patriot from the Young Avengers, or grandfather. I think it's the oh. grandfather of Patriot from the Young yeah. Avengers. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot that he's related to Patriot. <laughs> I know, it's wild. So I was like, that's, that's, it's Isaiah Bradley. So all of these kind of things were connecting for me. And then um, John Walker, US agent, I still don't know much about him or how he is in the comics versus, and Battlestar, um, something Hopkins, yeah. Hoskins, Leo Hoskins. Yeah, Lamar. Um, Lamar Hoskins. 
I, is is Battlestar U.S. Agents like Bucky in the comics? Um, he was introduced as when John Walker became Captain America. Yeah, he Lamar was introduced under the name Bucky, which an interesting historical note that that uh, Mark Runwald um, wrote into the story, and he and he created John Walker and these characters um, because and I think it was Dwayne McDuffie. I remember the story right said to mark grunwald you can't call that you can't call a black man bucky because that's has negative racial connotations i think going i think back, that sounds yeah I feel like going, i read something on the wikipedia page the other day about yeah that. yeah because apparently that was slave owners would refer to young strong rebellious black men as bucks or buckies um that had to be specifically punished because they were rebellious because you know they gosh didn't want to be slaves um so yeah and mark, and, yeah and mark ronald didn't know that and he was like oh holy crap you're right i gotta change his name but he didn't just change the name he wrote that into the story and ex- had a character explain it to lamar and then lamar was like oh crap yeah they're not calling me that man <laughs> and, and he came up with the name Battlestar. <laughs> that's cool yeah i really I, like that I did too. I love the fact that he, he wrote it. He had characters explain it to each other and made it. He didn't just go, Oh, whoops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this second issue issue episode, it, a lot happened. Um, you yeah. kind of, it made me care about John Walker. I mean, I was obviously you're very, anyone steps into the role of captain America and it's not Sam Wilson or Bucky. You're like, <laughs> who are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about you. Uh, so it was cool, like especially kind of going on this roller coaster of liking him in the beginning of the episode, and by the end of the episode, you're like, dude, you're kind of being a dick. Um, <laughs> you're like, join my side or else, don't yeah. do this. Um, and it just it, I I think it's a really interesting conversation that it's starting with. Um, like, I think it's. I guess this is kind of going not it's not starting a conversation about this necessarily but I do think it's handling legacy in a very more nuanced way than I would have originally Hmm. thought that it might have um, because it's dealing not only with the legacy of Captain America but it's the legacy within the family of both Sam and Bucky and the the legacy of that I mean that they'll leave um, and the legacy of the people they've impacted um, with like Bucky and the son that got ki- that he killed, um, that he, Mr. Nakamura's son. Oh yeah. Um, like all of that dealing and interaction with trauma as well. Um, both on Bucky's side, emotionless, super old, super soldier, and Sam, who is a young younger black man who's experienced a shit ton of racism. Um, so I just, I really think that they have a lot of good material out there and a lot, it's, it's surprising me in how good it is. Like I'm enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah, I am too. Um, I, I guess I was a little, I should have had faith in the Marvel movie television creatives cause they're great. Um, but I was a little worried from the trailer. It was just going to be action like really cool action um like good bomb film level action but i was afraid that was all it was going to be and i should have known better because yeah they're 
the explanation of those issues with them and i'm looking forward to like bucky he was an orphan i think that wound up in the army like at a really young age like younger younger than would be allowed i i think in reality um as a camp mascot kind of um so his only family was steve rogers and i hope they delve into kind of some of how he's dealing with not only the trauma of being a programmed assassin for decades, but the fact that, you know, he has one family figure of Cap, who was basically a father and a brother to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the fact and, he's, he's in uh, therapy and this therapist is going to be an ongoing part of their story. That's really good. Cause yeah, I want to, I like stories exploring trauma too. And on top of that, like, Bucky's old. He is so yeah. freaking old. Um, I, I love the. Uh, this is shout out to good old Dino. Um, this was his, probably his favorite part. I think um, when uh, Sam mentions the big three and then mentions wizards and it's Gandalf. You're fighting Gandalf, He's, and Sam's like, "You've read The Hobbit," and Bucky's like, "I read The Hobbit when it came out in 1937. Are you kidding me?" <laughs> And just that reminder, like, oh yeah, Bucky's like a hundred plus years old. Yeah, uh, just... I love. Yeah, I love them throwing that kind of stuff. Like when when he tried to go on that. Well, he did. When he went back to the bar to go on that date with the girl with that woman, and I just loved his because he's so out of. I mean, he doesn't look like it, but he's so he's of the greatest generation, mm-hmm. and that's where his mind still is. Yeah, <laughs> in terms of culture and, and and dating and everything. <laughs> Even if he looks like a super young hot Sebastian Stan. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that series has just been uh, just a ton of fun so far. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, this one, I'm really looking forward. I, this whole Flag Smasher group, and originally in the comics, it was one guy, but there did end up being a group. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Like how, I don't know, maybe more conservative fans of the show might associate them with Antifa um, or Antifa, however you pronounce it. Um, But they're not, they're, you know, they're different ideologies. Um, And bringing in the power broker, which was a guy that gave John Walker his powers in the comic. And, and, and the actor who plays Walker, he surprised me because, yeah, you're right. He's, he was likable at first and you could understand how, well, you know, He's a, he's a decent guy. He's just trying to do the best he can, and he wants to serve the country. But yeah, like in the comics, it's... Well, like you kind of f- foreshadowed this in the comics, because originally he showed up in the comics as a Captain America villain um, that then was... I forget why, but he was turned out not to be really a villain. But yeah, eventually he went pretty nuts. And I'm looking forward to if, if they work in like anything maybe season two um after flag smasher stuff they'll work in like the 1950s commie smasher captain american bucky um who that bucky but he was unfrozen decades later he became nomad um so because there's so much you can work with with cap i mean there's been i think including steve rogers and sam wilson and bucky barnes i think there's been like seven or eight different guys that have filled that role wow that's captain america and there's been like five or six buckies good lord so yeah there's all sorts of stories to to mine there 
and wow, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where they're going. I'm not sure if it's the same length as WandaVision. Um, I think there's six episodes listed on IMDb right now, but I don't know if that's as long, if it's only going to be six episodes or if oh. um, it's going to be eight or nine like WandaVision was. Um, oh, okay. That didn't occur to me. I was just assuming it was going to be a like ongoing, who knows how many seasons series. Oh, I mean, maybe that is what it'll be. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, it's just, I'm super worried about them going. They're going to see Zemo next episode. <laughs> a, why the hell are you letting Zemo play chess? You do, you do not <laughs> want to let that guy train and hone his mind to be better at strategy. He is already <laughs> too good. Um, and on top of that, like. I'm terrified that he's just going to literally trigger Bucky. He's just going to yeah. start saying the trigger words and put him yeah. back in the Winter Soldier state because he knows those words, and I doubt he's forgotten them. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're programmed in. Um, yeah, that that would be cool. I'd like to see that. God, I hope. Oh. I just want I want him in that fucking <laughs> purple mask. That purple mask yeah. is. I I know we're probably not going to get the gold crown yet. Or the, maybe or the, we'll get the fluff. The, <laughs> the creeper. The, the white. Yeah. The white. Black polka dotted fluff, <laughs> <laughs> but we're at least we're getting that purple mask, and that's that's enough for me. I think at least for now. I, as much as I love his dumb costume, yeah, it's it's really really a lot of fun. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go ahead really quick. I want to plug. Uh, Dino sent me his haiku, his response to my question of, from last week. <laughs> Um, oh, cool. So I'm, I actually can read an email this week. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to, this is from good old Dino Chipino. Um A haiku for Drew. Fave trade suggested by Jeff. Uncanny X-Force. Nightcrawler Bamps a uh, giant shark in Blob's belly. Best use of his skill. A thank you to Jeff. Remarkable TPB by Rick Remender. Um, so I assume Uncanny X-Force by Rick Remender's uh, Dino's favorite thing on the shelf. I, I love that. Wow, cool. um, I didn't make one because I wasn't expecting this, honestly, but uh, <laughs> please send those in. Uh, Jay, I've just got to the part in the, where I'm cataloging the podcast, as you all know, but I got to the part where Jay brings in the haikus and it's just, it's a ton of fun and I'd love to bring those <laughs> back, uh, even if just for a little bit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that'd <yeah>. be fun. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 dumb in a, just a like a such a fun simplistic way. Like it's it can make no sense in a lot of ways, but it also just it's like what we were saying with uh, Conan. We're just like some Occam's razor. The simplest is sometimes the easiest. Like it doesn't have to over be over complicated. Um, so yeah, yeah, I I like that. Well. What what is our uh, oh what is our little old email and we've got all that you can send if you want to send an email um, like Dino did uh, not unlike Dino did or a voicemail or anything like that one six one nine six I've, I I I no I've messed it up it's not <laughs> we're not gonna do that um, <laughs> it's Jeff at the comicsplace <laughs> um, put Papcast in the in the title line. There is an uh, email, a voicemail line one six one nine 
663-7336. I just have to do it. It's like, it's a muscle memory thing, yeah. not an actual <laughs> memory thing. It's just less, it's the way it rolls off the tongue. Yeah, yeah. Don't, you know, don't think about it at all, because that'll screw you up. Yeah, exactly. So just what I said, repeat that again if you need the number. <laughs> uh, join the Discord if you want. I'm going to, I just finished up. Uh, a lot of stuff, and I'm, I'm off work this week because of my wisdom teeth surgery, oh. so I'm probably going to be putting in a lot more work into that. So please, guys, join it. I mean, hit me up with any suggestions. This is, It's built for you guys. and it's, it, I, it, However it you want it to be, however you want to make it better, any ideas, like seriously, it's, it's for the community. It's not necessarily for me or for the people. It's, it's for you guys. So I want you guys... To be able to enjoy it um the way you want to so yeah just another plug for that well that's awesome thank you for doing that again oh, by the way. that's, that's so cool it's a ton of fun and it, i love connecting us in the community um it's, it's decently active there scott and james burke uh scott hmm. not shukin but scott martin um and uh james burke posts a lot uh i don't think chris Klaus talked too much yet um but yeah, we get Emily from book club in there talk, talk pops in. Um, really, I, I love it. It's it's nice seeing conversations go without my input at all. Like people just kind of yeah. talking, and <laughs> that's what I want. I just well, I wanted to give a space that was a more casual way to just talk to people about comics, like coming into the shop since we can't right now. I just want to try and give that to people because I know it's something that I've missed. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, that's really fun. one of the many fun things about that is uh, you mentioned a couple names and continuity history. James Burke, Chris Clow, both former employees of the Comics Place. In fact, back when I moved to Bellingham in 1992, James Burke was working at the Comics Place. Wow. <laughs> yeah, those, those. I think they uh, both Scott and James and one other person mentioned that they were big Hulk fans and had mm. read almost every Hulk comic. And I was like, oh, between them and Roman, like we just have a Hulk centric <laughs> area and Bellingham is all about Hulk. <laughs> we love the Hulk. Hulk uh, love rain. <laughs> Hulk love rain and trees. <laughs> Orca, nice. Uh, on that note, um, thank you for listening. Um, I hope this turns out all right. Uh, skipped it if, if you wanted to skip it go ahead um it's not the normal crew but we have roman and we love roman so thank you <laughs> for being here with me man oh thank you this was this was great it was really fun to have a have a have a fourth fifth i don't know whatever you call it addition to the to the podcast yeah just a an, an little extra fun thing um assistant editors week that, that was it um i'm andrew i'm roman and I'm sure Django had a question, but he's not here, so that sucks. <laughs> <laughs>